0: Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast and Happy New Year. Scott Linden here, your host on this weekly journey into the woods and the fields uh, behind a great dog. They're all great. Where we learn, share, and grab a laugh or two once in a while. Should do all of those and more with our guest this week, Steve Grouseman Grossman. <clears throat> yep. Pro Outfitter and Guide, recipient of the Orvis 2020 Lifetime Achievement Award. This guy knows his stuff. We'll be talking both forest and prairie grouse and pheasants from a guy who, um, who knows of what he speaks. Let's just leave it at that. Great guest. One of the most popular guests I've had on the podcast. Sure looking forward to getting caught up and, and learning something. And so will you. Our handling train. let's see, what do we call that? The Handle It training segment will offer up a couple tricks that I use to help my dogs think for themselves. Maybe you can find some value in them as well. And then we go to the social media platforms and ask you what you do for your dog when he does a fantastic job for you. It's all made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products. Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, Truelock Choke Tubes, and findbirdhuntingspots.com. Well, we'll get to what you do to your dogs in just a moment, but I got to just relate. This was so classic, and maybe you've had this happen. All right, so um, we're out there after Valley Quail. And um, you know we're getting a little bit better at that. Uh, Flick is getting extremely good at it, so much so that we were passing a spot that I, you know, I did, yeah, I gave it, you know, a look and decided we could keep moving. But no, he was in that general neighborhood, so he uh, went down into that little gully with a little thicket of big sagebrush bushes. On the way, he stopped. Lifted his leg and took a leak. Continued taking a leak. Stopped taking a leak. Left his leg up. About then I'm putting two and two together and walking towards him. Through, and it's, it seems like a lot farther than it is because there's a foot and a half of snow slowing me down. But anyway, at some point, he, his leg's still up, by the way. He, he, he kind of side-eyes me, and then he moves his head a little bit as if to say, hey, man, this is not what you thought it was. I'm done with the bathroom break. So I, I waltz right in, go right around him, swing wide, doing my best to keep him steady, bust my way through that thicket, get snowed down my shirt collar, down my boot tops, and everywhere else, and out of there, one valley quail i'm so surprised i don't even shoot in fact when that bird flies another one 10 yards away flies i woe flick he's steady to both even though i don't have the gun up i'm you know so so what do i do i reach in and i lob one of the dead quail i already have let him let him retrieve that one instead you ever seen that? You ever seen your dog? Well, it seems like every German dog I've had will um will point with his back leg once in a while. Maybe yours will too. Um but that one was a new one on me and I only wish I'd I'd had a video camera for that. Uh what about you? Well, your dog does some great work too no matter who you are. I asked on uh, all the social platforms, what do you do when he does a fantastic job and in my picture I have I have one pheasant that Manny one of my older dogs back in the day found along a, the only birdie spot in South Dakota we found that afternoon it was a long tree line and he got the only rooster out of there um, and I let him parade it around but uh, you guys have some great ideas maybe some of us can learn from you Michael Ogallo He says anyone within three miles will hear me celebrating with him brad fleming gives his dogs the heart of every bird they find point or retrieve and they know they got it coming charles lindquist this time of year i'd give him (coughs) i'd give him a really hot dog but i get the idea hot dogs yeah one of the greatest training treats around if you need it um, how many of you go to McDonald's drive-thru on the way home? John Swanson does. Uh, his dog gets a McDonald's cheeseburger. Plain, of course. Um, Chad, Chet Michael feeds the hearts. Lots of people going on that. I, I just wrote a story about that kind of thing. Um, I'm, you know, I'm kind of going back and forth on giving the dog guts, especially in the field right there. But that's my problem, not yours. John Wasserman says his dog rides in the front front seat and he's asleep with his head in my lap, my right hand on his back. And John, thanks for the great picture. That is the shiniest black Labrador I have ever seen. What a beautiful dog. Noble head, standing amongst some tall grass, probably waiting for you to say, find a bird. Um, Sleeps wherever he wants and a lot of good boys. That's Tim Newbrand's suggestion. George Cummins, I just can't visualize, let alone hear you in my head saying, who's a good boy? But I know Samson, and I know he is a good boy. Treats and eggs and and bacon. Breakfast for dinner, says Larry Scott. And there's another McDonald's fan, John Andrus. So many great ideas. If you haven't looked through that, always take a look. Somewhere in all of those comments is something that you can use on your dog or for your shooting or for your bird finding or anything else. It's all at uh, the Wing Shooting USA and the Upland Nation Facebook pages, Instagram, and Twitter, all of the above. And this part of the podcast is brought to you by Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. You know they're an authorized dealer for Beretta, Blaser, Browning, Garini, Krigoff, Rizzini, Fabarm, Fair, and Siren. Whew. need to catch my breath these guys have got the goods and if they don't have it they might be able to get it for you even if nobody else can the guys at mid valley clays have a very special relationship especially with the browning folks so go to midvalleyclays.com then click on the shotguns tab then scroll down and click on the online store and if you don't find it there call them up ask dave fiedler to see if he can find one somewhere for you even if it's quote, unavailable, unquote, midvalleyclays.com. And Trulock Chokes, one of the few companies still out there offering a lifetime warranty and a customer satisfaction guarantee. That's right. If something goes wrong, send it back. They'll replace it at no charge. charge. And if you have questions, call them any time. In fact, I talk to them periodically about types of birds, types of shooting challenges, and what types of chokes would work best. Learn a heck of a lot about how patterns affect your shooting accuracy and learn which ones are right for you depending on what kind of a shotgun you have and how you use it. Learn more at trulockchokes.com and don't forget that lifetime warranty. So good to have him back on the Upland Nation podcast, Steve man Grossman. I wonder who came up with that one first. He's a pro guide outfitter, the recipient of the Orvis Twenty Twenty Lifetime Achievement Award. You know they don't give those out very very freely. So this guy knows his stuff. If you want to learn more about prairie grouse, pheasants, and who knows what else, uh, bird dogs, and all of that, he's the guy, Steve welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. It's great
1: to be with you again.
0: Yeah it is and by the way happy new year too so uh lots going on with you we'll talk about that and uh and everything else under the sun if the sun would ever poke its head through the overcast and all the snow we've been getting.
1: I saw that little bit I saw that big orange thing in the sky a couple days this fall and so I it's been a while now since I've seen it again but I long for it.
0: Well, boy, so do I, and maybe everybody else is in the same boat. I, uh, I, 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 am desperate to walk on bare ground. That is, that is my <laughs> only goal, and and some people know. And I talk to you off, Mike. I'm going to Northern Nevada again, primarily because there are so many south facing slopes we can hunt there we might get lucky and even if there is snow there won't be near as much as there is right here so
1: well you can jump from south slope to south slope and you know yeah. you'll keep running out of snow at that point so that's you
0: ex- that's exactly right and if i was really smart i'd just drive further south and spend the rest of the chucker season <laughs> in las vegas do they are there many
1: chucker down there
0: well you got to work hard at them I and mean, the climbing is like straight up those those big hotels are really tough walking but how do, how do the dog work in there? oh he's a big hit in some of those casino shows <laughs> <laughs> but anyway enough about me <laughs> um how was your uh, what you know what there was of a hunting season for you
1: you know it it's it's geez, you know, I'm 65, I turn 64 and each year I keep getting shorter or the seasons start changing a little bit. I'm not sure quite which, how to, how to word it, but, you know, I started out again in South Dakota. And so I was there, uh, for three weeks in September. And, uh, you know, I was told that the bird numbers were really, really good and we did have good bird numbers. Uh, the last part of the summer, the intense heat and the drought did put a hurt on on some of the birds and uh, we shot a lot of young birds both the prairie chicken and sharptail but uh, there was, it was evident the birds the, the the intense heat they had many days of that 100 degree weather and yeah. that intense heat put a damage on uh, put a hurt on a number of those chicks and young birds but overall you know south Dakota was good and Minnesota was better than expected so you know it was uh, it was a it was a good fall hold that
0: better than expected uh, thought for a moment let's go back to south dakota where i i spent five days walking around uh, just outside your window there um, in beetle county and what we noticed was number one it was really hot even um, late october Uh, but that pushed most of the pheasants into those cattails in the low spots did you find the same thing happening with you or did you were you somewhere where there were no cattails
1: well you know the bulk of my south dakota stuff is all in september so i hunted prairie prairie birds the entire month of september then back in minnesota all of october and i've got uh, family and, and good friends that are still hunting here in beetle county in South Dakota and near Huron, and uh, because there's no moisture, really literally there is no moisture, Yeah. many of the sloughs have, have all dried up, that uh, the birds can go anywhere, yeah. you know, so there, there's no water stopping them from going anywhere. So I, I do know that, that the, the, the bird numbers have been good. you got to work for them, but they've had good bird numbers uh, the family that I've got here have, have, have had a good fall, but uh, you know, they're not they're selective in their hunts. They're not hunting every weekend, you yeah. know, it's every every couple of weeks, but uh, you, you know, in driving around locally, I'm seeing decent numbers of birds, uh, especially in the evenings, not so much in the mornings, but especially evenings, so you know, it's, it's, it's like anywhere else, it's going to hit in pockets. You know, there, this summer, we had Back in Minnesota, we had storms 10 miles from my lodge, and at the lodge we had no storms. So all of a sudden, when you start looking at that kind of weather pattern and difference between 8, 10, 12, 15, 20, you know, even 50, 60 miles apart, yeah, that's a game changer what's going to happen in, in the bird numbers
0: Absolutely, I've I've seen that happen over the years in Chucker and uh, Valley Quail Country. I mean, from draw yeah. to draw, canyon to canyon, we've seen that happen, and it's it, it it's remarkable. And it I guess if you look at it as a positive, uh, if you're getting skunked in that spot, go somewhere else, and the odds are still you know they're back to fifty
1: fifty. Absolutely, you, we even when we hunt, we hunt like when I fish, and I'm not a good fisherman. I'm I'm God, I'm a, I'm a better it's, it's not so much me, it's the dogs, so you know, the, the dogs produce birds for us, and I don't have a, a fish dog, so I've got to rely on on my other skills, which are not so good, but when the, when the same thing comes when we're bird hunting, we'll get into different areas, and if it doesn't feel good, we'll pick up and move, and, and again, you're right, at least hope springs eternal by going from one place to another, and you just never know what you're going to hit.
0: I guess I'm ahead of the curve, then, because I am probably the only <clears throat> catch-and-release bird hunter.
1: No, you're not many. You're
0: many of catch-and-release bird hunters. <laughs> hey, I can assure you. Tell me tell me about the good season in Minnesota. You're up there. Uh, what do you call the lodge these days? Is it the lodge at Little it's, Moran? It's, Is that what
1: we call the, it? it's the grouse lodge the, the grouse, grouse lodge, lodge.
0: yes good okay and that is actually your website address too isn't it correct. The, the, the grouse, grouse lodge.com lodge dot .com, dot com. correct yeah. so t- yeah. so make me jealous
1: we had if if there's a jealousy part of this whole thing is that we had a fall finally where where we were not the weather did not stop us a day all all year long. Last wow. couple of years we've had some you know some four to six inch snows late in October. None of that this year. If there was a glitch again, is you know we had an incredibly wet wet spring and the flora and fauna were incredible. I cannot remember seeing so much food in the woods. The dogwood berries, gray dogwood berries, the choke cherries, the wild raspberries, the blackberries. There was food everywhere. Even the bear hunters were complaining that, you know, bears weren't coming to bait. Oh, yeah. There was was so much food. And so, you know, the grouse were scattered, so they lived everywhere, and they could, could, you know, where they slept, they ate. Yeah. So there was, they didn't have to go searching and looking for food. So we had a tremendous, a, a great fall that way. If there was any glitch, was that, It was so dry late season that the woodcock kind of changed their patterns a little bit because it was so dry, even in the swamp edges, they had a hard time feeding. So where we typically find woodcock later in the year, we did not. So what we did then is we continued to hunt grouse, but then all of a sudden, the dogs would pull us into unknown areas in unknown places where We'd pick up woodcock here and there, and all of a sudden we started getting into more woodcock. So it was another learning. Every, every year, you know, the birds don't read the books. They understand life for them is survival, and they do what they need to do to survive. And uh, so, again, this year it, we, had, we had very good grouse numbers. It wasn't over the top good, but it was very good, as in, in comparison to years past. And we had good woodcock. So, overall, you know, we had a good year. The weather was nice. Uh, if there's any drawback to that real dry weather, is you know, you got to carry a lot of water for the dogs because yeah. Uh, yeah. that becomes an issue. But uh,
0: overall, it was a good fall. Um, uh, do you see this cycle that everybody talks about? There are some, uh, even biologists, who argue there's no such thing. But for rough grouse, a lot of people still believe there is a, a roughly a 10-year cycle. Do you see that in your hunting?
1: Myself? I do not and you know and I have tried in the in the biggest ways I've tried to follow a cycle pattern and cycle that but no I do not myself I don't see that uh, you know we've kept a, a daily journal and a log dating back to 87 1987 Wow and this was my 35th year uh, with the Grouse lodge in, in Minnesota and when you look when I look back at those numbers I can't I can't base things on a 10-year cycle. Uh, yeah. Too many variables, I think, come into play. Uh, for example, last year, I think the grouse numbers were helped in Minnesota because we had a huge snow. And rough grouse, of course, need, need good snow depths in the coldest of the winter for roosting conditions, and we had that last year. And so I, I think that was a huge aspect, and so, you, to answer your question, one hundred percent, I do not follow that cycle kind of a pattern.
0: Well, that that's fascinating, uh, and and if if you're a hardcore grouse hunter, it's probably encouraging because there are people who will simply look at numbers, and say, Yeah, I'm going to take up chess this season instead." um and and I don't like to see that and most people probably don't but there are some out there you know you let's start let's start with your um with your South Dakota early early season experiences what what are you chasing mostly out there and, and give us a picture mental picture of where you are
1: so I'm out in the southwestern part of uh South Dakota uh southwest of Pierre about 80 miles uh you know, I hunt a, a lot of tribal ground, and I yeah. hunt a lot of non-tribal ground. And the the thing that I like about the tribal ground, yet even with uh, when even when I was on the Cheyenne, uh, is I'm impressed by how the the tribal land is, how they manage the tribal pasture land. With, with criteria of if you overgraze, you, 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 what they're doing is trying to discourage overgrazing. So if you overgraze, you get marks against you for when it comes time for the next lease period. Uh-huh. And so the interesting thing was, and I think even with this last year's drought, uh, the last two years really actually, there were a lot of pastures that we went into to hunt this fall. That had really hadn't seen any cattle on it. So in many ways, a lot of those pastures were not grazed over. And it's interesting how when you read back on how the sharp-tailed prairie chicken follow the buffalo because they they liked that that grazed over prairie because what it did it, it gave them enough cover and enough habitat to, to escape predation, but it wasn't so heavy that they could not remain cool during the heat of the summer. Yeah, and and so I think when in looking back at a lot of the covers that we hunted this fall out there, if it was areas I had hunted the last couple of years that the pastures were were grazed but not overgrazed, we had good birds in them. This year, those same pastures weren't grazed at all, and it was really too thick a cover, too heavy, and the birds weren't using them. They were using cover where where there was more over, more grazing, not overgrazing, but more grazing just to keep the habitat uh, at bay.
0: Yeah, there's a fine line in there. And I've, I've actually seen that on, on a few slopes over the years. You can almost draw that line sometimes. Um, and it might be at a fence, or it might yeah. not. It might be due to something else, you know, water sure. supply or something like that. Hey, you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. That is Steve Grousman Grossman.
1: Okay, go ahead. Tell the story. About how Grouse Man came to be? Of course. I had a good friend, and he's guided for me for years many, many, many years. And we still are greatest friends. And he do, he does a lot of, uh, of uh, field trialing and, and has a great number of English setters yet. And it was years ago. It was. He said, he said one day we were out, and he just, it came about. It just popped out of his mouth. He said, Grouse Man. <laughs> What do you think we ought to do? And just kind of, from that point, others heard it, and they looked at it and said it's stuck. It's Instead classic. Grossing, he called me Grouse Man. So it just, you know, how, how that came to be, is I think it was the designer of the stars, the keeper of the stars came up with that one.
0: I love it. it it's so apropos. <clears throat> so uh, good on you. <laughs> I'm glad you got it. And it's deserved <laughs> as well. Um,
1: just just lucky again
0: yeah so um you know i made a study of sharptails and i'm I, it, i'm still doing it actually um and and so i'm always looking for advice on uh sharptail hunting um if you were to offer me uh some suggestions about habitat or strategy uh, what what would you tell me as a rank beginner pretend i've never set foot on the prairie
1: I guess if anything, the first one would be is is to hunt a prairie or hunt pasture or prairie 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 ground where you can maybe see the ground. See the ground. Uh, you don't want bare ground by any sense. There's no cover there, and the birds will see you. So when you enter a prairie, if it's that bare, they'll fly out the other side. Just like a wild pheasant. When when you enter an area, they'll they hear the car door or the motor. Yeah. they're gone. But a lot of it is is a lot of it is is a, is kind of a happy medium of thickness of cover that's one mm-hmm. uh where it's where it's been slightly grazed there's plenty of cover the birds can squat and hide especially early season you know we're still hunting in days where you know the afternoon temps might get up to 96 98 you know yeah. when we're out west and even when it's that warm the birds don't want to move they're, there there's no reason for them to move they're not going to waste energy so you know if it was heavy, thicker cover, the birds are going to overheat, and they don't like that. You know, they're a big, heavy, heavily feathered bird. They got feathers continued to their feet, so they want to stay cool just like other critters do, so they look for shade or they look for a lighter cover. And I think that would be one of the first things was would be to enter a habitat or a pasture or a cover where the cover has been grazed over, but it's not tabletop thick or tabletop uh flat yeah but there's enough cover yet for those birds to to find escape and escape routes i've 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 had good luck
0: on the high spots in that kind of country do you ever is there any consistent consistency to your experience with sharpies on the knobs the higher points
1: absolutely yeah you know they they like to be able to where they can see yeah so they're either if – if there's a if there's a little knob or a little knoll on a prairie or on a pasture, that's always a destination point. Yeah. And so is the plum thicket or so are buffalo berries or snowberries. Those are destinations that we go to. And so they like to stay on just the lee side of that hill. They're not in, in the brunt of everything, but they're very close. So if you get too close, they've got an easy escape out of all that cover. Yeah. I, I think – I, I just think in many instances, when I watch sharptail or prairie birds flying pre-season, they will fly into a pasture or an area and they will use something as a destination for them to, to fly to, whether it's a small little plum thicket or if it's a buffalo berry or, or snowberry, they will fly toward it or close to it. And then they move into that cover so they can, so they can get some shade. Yeah. So, when I watch them use that and use those destinations, I use those destinations when I hunt.
0: Yeah. And I've had good luck at them. And I, I never realized how important shade is until it got really warm out there. And it, it's absolutely, absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. You know, for fun, uh, we had a, a, a biologist on a few weeks ago and he said, great <coughs> sharp tail cover. Is is grass that is um, that you can see bits and pieces of a soccer ball in it, not the whole ball, yep. but bits and pieces. And I love that analogy. That's that's probably right along the same lines of what you just
1: said. It's it's, it's give and take. So it's not you, you can't see ground, but if you look close enough, there's the ground. It's yeah. not it's not that bare or barren but it's been it's been used, and I think that's a that's a big part of it. How
0: about uh ringnecks uh, did you do much uh pheasant hunting this year?
1: myself, I did not after the uh you know with with age comes wisdom and after thirty some years of, of chasing these critters, uh, I had pieces of parts that were starting to give out mm. on me so I had a new knee put in on November the fourteenth so that kind of took me out of play for uh. The remainder of the of the season, so I've I've not chased any pheasants this fall. Uh, so I had a, had a big a big uh, September of chasing prairie birds in South Dakota, and then all month of October hunting grouse in Minnesota. So I'm I'm on the road to recovery. I had a new hip put in last February, a new knee. Hell, I'm just hell. I'll beat the dogs to the point next year.
0: Yeah, if if uh, if the TSA will let you through the radar machine, <laughs> I quit flying. I, yeah. If
1: I can't drive there anymore with the dogs and my wife, and we like the road trip, so amen. I hear you. you. know, yeah. There you go. Well, um,
0: uh, it sounds like you had a full season anyway. Um, let's let's go back and switch to the to the rough grouse thing again because, it, again, that's one of those things I'd like to learn more about. So. Uh, You mentioned all these food sources, and it strikes me, and I'm hearing this more and more often these days, with grouse in particular, just like you said, with with bears, for example, or or in a lot of places with other critters, the the big game guys have got it figured out. They look for food sources. Um, Absolutely. More and more, do you find yourself starting with that, or do you have other tried-and-true habitats that you like just as well?
1: In most cases, when, when they go in with a clear cut in our part of Minnesota, when it's a clear cut or it's now it's, it's I, I should rephrase that, it's not so much a total clear cut, it's more more of a selective cut. Uh-huh. But nevertheless, they're still doing a lot of cutting. And with that cutting, then that brings back uh, the dog gray dogwood for dogwood berry. It brings back a lot of hazelnut for the hazel catkin. Uh Birch trees, young birch. They like the hazel. The, uh, the they like the birch catkin on a birch tree. Yeah. Along the logging roads, once that ground is disturbed with the loggers going in and out, the clover starts coming back, the wild strawberry. So really, and, and that's I think is what makes the rough grouse such a a, a great game bird. Is th- they live in their refrigerator. They live right near their food, so they can go anywhere within their habitat. And there's food available, whether it be again crab apples, thorn apples, high bush, cranberry, uh, dogwood, etc. There's always food available to them. They we we find them. Their crops full of, of acorns and wild strawberry clover, you name it, and and they're they're eating it in the woods. So, to choose a place based strictly on food, I do not. I look for. I like young cuts, that's one, but then I also like overmature habitat where you've got maybe it's a piece of, of aspen that needs to be cut. Yeah. That's just kind of in its in its late stages, maybe 25 to 30, 35-year-old aspen. And the reason I like that is 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 it's, it's self-thinned itself after the clear cutting. And so what it's done is created enough ground cover with with hazel brush and dogwood and a variety of different food types. So the grouse, I think they move just like other things. I know the the clear cuts are so important for the raising of the broods and the chick, ra- chick raising with both woodcock and grouse, but I think those birds move as the year progresses. So I find more birds in that older cover.
0: Well, that's fascinating because I've ne- I've never heard that before. But as I as you describe it, I'm thinking of a hunt I did up there at Grand Rapids once, where yeah. the trees were really big, and the ground was rel everything's relative clear, yeah. but they yeah. were there. And uh, th- so, what are they doing
1: in that kind of habitat? I think that that I still am one of. I will always work edges. So if I go into a cover, if I drive by a place, the first thing I look at is what is there for edges? Is there a swamp edge? Is there a, a, is there a, if it's say, for example, it's in the middle of a big, let's say a 600 square mile or a section. And all of a sudden there's a, an old cut that borders a young cut, Mm -hmm. which is, is very evident. So you've got like a 10 or 12 year old Aspen standing and You've got a 30 year old Aspen standing in that, that, dividing line is very evident between the two types of habitat so i will hunt that edge because those birds like edges they still like like pheasants they like an edge the sharp tail like an edge they like that diversity in cover and so i will hunt that edge or swamp edge and in more times than not if i'm close to those areas my dogs are are running big enough where yeah. they're not where I'm wanting them to be right now. If they if they're 100 200 yards off this edge, and they start finding birds, then I start changing and hunting where the dogs are wanting to hunt. Duh. But for most part, <laughs> I always have the dogs hunt for me, and I always want to work those edges in those lake areas. Why those birds are in that older stuff? The only thing that makes sense to me is it's a it's a it's mo- food is readily more readily available. It's not though readily available in a young two or three or five-year-old aspen stand Uh, because the aspen is crowding most everything else out.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. You know, the other thing, especially if you talk pheasants, for example, people will say, it's a scape cover. Yeah. Um, So at certain times of day, maybe it's that as well. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, we're going to talk about keeping your dog cool early season. We're going to talk more about um, handling dogs. You just said something that really uh, interested me, and that's getting your dogs to work for you. If I ever figure that out, maybe I'll write a book. Oh, wait a minute. I already did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, lots more to come with Steve Grouse, Man Grossman. We've also got that handle it dog training segment coming up so uh steve uh relax for a moment while i make a quick a commercial announcement and then we'll be right back at ya and that announcement is for my good friends at sageandbreaker.com just like it sounds 1a in sage 1a in breaker only one e in breaker sageandbreaker.com you know i mentioned earlier my friends at Truelockchokes.com and their lifetime warranty well Hey, I must be picking some pretty good sponsors because Sage and Breaker offers a lifetime warranty on their gear as well. And did I mention soon there will be a new, I guess I'll call it a gear bag for lack of a better term. I think Fred Bohm, the founder, calls it a range bag. You can use it for whatever you want, even if you never go to the range. So get on the mailing list and you'll get advanced notice of when that new bag is available. And also if you didn't take advantage of the Christmas Cleaning combo. It's because you weren't on the mailing list. So sign up for that at sageandbreaker.com. They won't inundate you with garbage and they never trade off their list with anybody else. Get notice of future sales and new products at sageandbreaker.com. And welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast, Steve Grouseman Grossman.
1: How's the knee doing, by the way? You know, it's doing great. I had the knee done on on November the 14th. And uh, uh, I just, it was interesting because I had uh, a very good friend and uh, a neighbor take care of my dogs for the last month. And so, I drove back to Minnesota yesterday, picked my dogs up, so I've got them with me now, back out here and in uh, back in here now. And so, you know, putting dogs in and out of the truck and back in the trailer, I was wondering how it's going to go, but so far everything is good, and and I've been very fortunate. But I it it uh, when my knee was done last February, and now, or excuse me, my hip done in February, my knee now. Uh, it's just it's it's a it's a game changer it's a life changer how it how it helps me get around anymore so uh it was for 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 many years i've you know i've worked with a lot of different physicians and and surgeons and hunted with them and their first response was their first question was well when you get it done not if because you're going to need it just when it does put it off as long as you can and i'll be i just turned 64 and so I'm I'm happy that I did and uh, it's it's life-changing it, it's incredible so I this things are going well I couldn't be happier
0: and uh, I'm on my way both of them I won't yeah. I won't list the problems but I will suggest that if you're a parent and you have a child and he's playing Little League Baseball do not let him be a catcher that's <laughs> all I'll say let 's get back to the birds and bird hunting, of course that 's the topic uh, all the time around here um, you know you you see all this stuff, and you have to be very kind because they give you money, and then hopefully they tip your guides well at the end of the day. But you guys sit around after everybody else goes away, and you trade stories about some of the dumbest things we clients do
1: can you Can, can you narrow that list
0: down to a couple thousand? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, the number one and I, I, I the number one thing is it positioning yourself to put yourself in play for a good for a good shot yeah that's the, that's the biggest thing that people that they do not do. they don't think of positioning themselves no different than a, than a soccer player position yourself on the football field. Where you can, where you you have a great opportunity to catch a pass. The biggest thing, and so many times, is it's a classic example. A very good friend and a long time client. We were hunting sharp tail again this year. He was out here with me in the prairie, and it was, it was the same thing that took place the year before with the same guy. (laughs) We had we had two birds that flushed, young birds that flushed quite a ways out. They went into a plum thicket. And so he was with, with uh, one of the guys, and I was just photographing, and what he did is he walked in the same side of the plum thicket bush as the guide did. Huh. So that left, that left one side totally unmanned. Yeah, yeah. So where do the birds fly? They, they, they fly 100% of the time on the side of the unarmed, on the unmanned side. When it was all said and done again, he came up to me and he said, geez, he said, they they went out the wrong side on me. And I said, Tom, the wrong side, my God. I said, we talked about this last year. You stay back a little bit. Let the other guy get around the top side of that plum thicket. So he's already causing those birds. They don't know where you're at because they can't hear you. But they hear him coming, and so you're already down in position for a, for a prime shot, but you took yourself out of play. That's the biggest thing yeah that and the other thing is, and I know we've talked about it we did last year, we got a good laugh of it our our guys when they walk up to a dog on point, they stop at the dog on point <laughs> and they don't I'm continue sorry. to <laughs> it just doesn't it's just not gonna happen at the dog it's gonna happen out front. <laughs> and you just you, you can't get that through people's heads well it's it,
0: i and i you know i understand i'm not laughing at anybody for the record. No, it's, it's i'm laughing with, with us because we've all yes. done it and you know i'm pretty well trained now my dog has got me figured out he slams a point <laughs> and then i you know. say that word that starts with the w w-h-o-a yeah and, yeah, yeah and you know who stops me yeah.
1: <laughs> So it's, it's, it's meaningless to the dog at that point, but with the other hunters and that's, I said, you guys got to keep moving, Yeah. get past the dog, get up there. Cause it's not going to happen here.
0: You know, I, I, I figured this out. I, I was watching a replay on a sh- a show I made years ago and I realized, you know, we're all good about that if we got nine guys in a row we're walking down standing corn, we're trying to chase birds to the other end where the blockers are we all understand that but we have to be blockers in a lot of other places as well and absolutely and that is a perfect example don't don't let the um the escape route um be ignored, I guess is a way to do it. You, you got to
1: fill all those gaps, That's fill it. those empty spots as best you can. I love it. Of course, shoot straight,
0: but I mean, shoot safe. But but, well, but scatter you know, yourselves. It,
1: the The other interesting thing is, and it's an interesting, it's an interesting kind of a way of, of from moving from the prairie to the grouse woods of Minnesota. A lot of my hunters that hunt with me in South Dakota hunt with me in Minnesota, mm-hmm. so. When they're on the prairie, the, because they can see the birds and I mean there's a lot more you, you can see it all happen. The good things with the dogs, the bad things with the dogs, and I mean, it's all out there in front of the Lord and everyone. So you everyone's going to see it happen. And when you're on the prairie with with open prairie birds, when the bird flushes, more guys will keep their head on the stock and keep their gun, their their head down, but when that same hunter is in the grouse woods, and a grouse flies across a trail, or down a trail, because they don't get to see a rough grouse, and wide open very often, they think, oh my god, it's so beautiful, and they don't get their head in the stock, and they shoot over the top of the bird, and I had a a good friend years ago, and went to a a very high-end shooting instructor, and, and the first thing he did was, is they put him on the trap range, and they videotaped him, and when it was all said and done, he said, the birds you're missing, you are doing what? He says, I'm not getting my head on the stock. He said, that's exactly right. And he said, you know, the guy I hunt grouse with in Minnesota, when he says I miss a layup, he said, that's what I'm doing, I'm not getting my head down. And this instructor said, you'd have saved yourself a lot of money if you'd listened to him. <laughs> you know, And that really becomes an issue where people, when they get a good look at a rough grouse, for example, because they see it in all its glory, because they don't get that kind of a look, they don't get their head on the stock. And so they're shooting over the burden. So that's another big thing is not keeping down on the gun on your, on your head down on your gun and bringing your gun up to the stock and, yeah and, yeah. and just a good proper, proper gun mount.
0: Yeah. All, all of the above shooting like a predator is how one instructor uh, described it to me. If you are so focused on that bird. The rest of the mechanics come together a little bit easier. But speaking of that sort of thing, what if it's not a wide open shot as he's crossing a trail or something? How do you convince yourself that it's okay to shoot a couple trees en route to dropping that grouse? Do you just have to do it a thousand times or is there a way to just
1: ignore those trees? You just have to put the trees out of your mind. And you know the great thing is and it's I'm very thankful and I'm I'm glad that we can we can provide that, that bucket list hunt for so many people, and that's what a lot of guys on their first grouse hunt is, is they – their question is, how do you get a gun up in this kind of cover? Mm-hmm. After a point in time, you just position yourself, and that's the other part of positioning yourself yeah. is yeah. Is if a, if a dog is out working in front of you and you're in likely cover, instead of moving, I stop in an, in an open spot in case a bird should blow out wild. At least I've got moved, room to move the gun. That would be one. Yeah. Number two is 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 try to find an opening. You know, with, when we're guiding with our hunters, once the dogs go on point, we want our hunters to be able to get into a spot where they can move the gun. And when everyone's ready, then we'll walk into to it to flush the bird, so we can help things that way. But it really is it's one of those things where you just put it out of your mind. It's not easy to do at times when you're getting slapped in the face, you know, time and again with tree branches and everything else. But it's 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 it. If you see the bird, that's your shot, and that's yeah. that really is your shot. And most shots in the grouse woods are going to be, you know, no more than twenty-five to thirty yards, just because the foliage in the and the habitat w- just won't allow you to see better than that. So, so so it's not a long shot
0: no no definitely not and you you like you said somebody described it as uh, shooting at a ghost you you, yeah. you may or may not believe it's there but you got to believe it's there yeah. when you pull yeah. the trigger um yep. you you just said something that um that uh i've been wondering about a lot um and that is you know, I get this question more than most people, and I'm no expert at rough grouse hunting. What kind of a load are you using on those birds, and does it change over the season?
1: I am a firm believer in sevens and seven and a halfs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I just am. And the re- where it was interesting. I, we had he's an incredibly good friend, and and uh, he's he's a fee task shooter. He hunted with me for about his this is his twenty second or twenty third year. He's 87 this last fall. He was 87 when he hunted with us, and he still made the American, all-American task sporting clay team. Wow. And he shoots the, the international the, the championships. He's, he goes all over the world still shooting a lot of clays. And the whole thing with, with Joe is I shot with him out at uh, Penn, out in Pittsburgh a few years ago on, at a place called Rolling Rock. It had a, an incredible... It was a live quail walk, uh, you know, with, with, oh, yeah. with uh, clay targets. Yeah, but yeah. The, it was the most incredible quail walk I've ever shot. So I shot it one time with eights, and the next time I shot with sevens, seven and a halves. And it was without question the difference that I could see with the, with the better hits and how the birds were hit. And he pointed it out to me. It wasn't so much myself how much – more intense and, and dense the seven and a half was, and and so you know it, it goes through the it goes through the foliage good enough. Uh, you it's enough foot pounds of energy. That's that's just my feeling over all the years, and you know most guys are shooting at twenty, uh, a lot of twenty eights, some sixteens, but uh, uh, you know seven and a half. Six shot is is okay, but uh, you don't need anything bigger than that. Yeah,
0: yeah, and especially if you might encounter some woodcock along the way, you don't you certainly That's, don't want much more.
1: No, you don't need others. You just over, you know, you're over bagging, over killing it. So it's just you're just being overdone, and and you don't want to do that either.
0: You've been around. I'm um, I'm not. I'm not going to say, uh, oh, you know, how many years you've been a hunter because it's been way longer than me. In all that time, can you think of a uh, a hunt that will never ever not be front of mind with you?
1: There's numerous, but yes, there, I mean there was one, and he was a he's a, just a great longtime friend from from southern Virginia, and uh, it was. He had a phenomenal big white female setter named Lily, and I had a little female, uh, and it was interesting. Mike Gaddis coined her, classified her, called her the little ballerina because she was just, she was strong. She was like a, a she was strong, athletic, and honest as the day is long. And, you know, very few bird dogs bird dog guys are going to tell you they, I mean, every dog I've had has had plenty of holes. This dog had fewer holes than, than most. And so we hunted this particular cover this one afternoon and it was like both dogs on the ground. And it was like swapping goals in the Stanley cup game seven. It, first it was, it was Lily had a goal. Then drummer had a goal. Then Lily had a goal. Then it was nonstop. And we hunted, we hunted uh, a cover uh, that there was, there's a big swamp edge and it was one of those most memorable moments. And when we got to the truck, we both looked at each other and, you know, you knew it at that point. You, it's, it's, you don't have to say it. it, yeah. it we, we, of course we did, but it was so great because each dog did super, they backed, they honored. It, it was, it was one of those, that was one of them. And so, but I've been so incredibly fortunate and blessed to share those days with so many good people that it, uh. It's gotta be all come out in a book and so that's kind of a of a plan for this winter now after recouping with my knee and and so we we've got things in the making for a, of a of a Grossman book, And we'll see where it ends up.
0: Oh I can't wait. I'm uh, looking forward to it already. So keep me posted on that. Yeah, I can relate to that hunt. I had a quail hunt like that where at you know, I still had three or four birds left on a limit, which I never get anyway. But I, I yeah, the thought comes to you. You know how can you top that? Well, you can't.
1: So let's go. You can't. No. Yeah. So uh, at the end of the, at the end of the day, you know, I remember those, and there was one other one that that, that came to mind, and and Mike Addis had had called me, and and uh, he said, I'm working on a new book, and he said the the basis of the book is going to end up being the the basis of the book is going to end up being a uh, uh, the story about a grouse and a grouse dog that – that, that, is that going off? Can oh, you Oh, it doesn't that?
0: bother us. We know you live a life, you know.
1: Okay, well, if, I'll move to another spot. All right. Alexa, stop. So the story was where Mike called me and wanted to know if I had a story about an old grouse and an old dog – that had a, a battle, a long-going duel.
0: <laughs>
1: and if there was one that did the dog ever win, and there was one time it did, and it was actually, the great thing was, it was with the same hunter, uh, John, that I'd hunted with, with I just described this hunt with his dog, Lily. Yeah. And long story short, we did pin this bird. The bird had won and beat this dog numerous times. This day, the dog won, pinned the bird where he was totally handcuffed, totally naked when he got up because he was, he went out into a swamp and uh, the shooter happened to miss the bird, but the dog won and the bird lived. So it was, it was a great ending to that story. And so he had written this, uh, there's a, it's, it's his last book, is uh, this last book that he written is called Duel on Tabernacle Mountain. Love it. And that was based on the story of this dog, Mac, and this rough grouse. It was a great story.
0: You know, it's funny, uh, it, just change the word grouse, to whitetail, and you you've read that story a million times, but you've never heard a grouse version of that, and I'd never thought about it before. But sure enough, I have a go-to spot where I I could probably tell a story similar to that. Yeah. Uh, you know, 99% of the time, you miss the bird for some reason, whether you wh- whether you shot or not. Um, you know, we're getting towards the, the nubs here, and I, I do want to ask a little bit about dog handling. You mentioned keeping your dogs cool early season, especially out there on the prairies of South Dakota. Is there anything that you do that we should know about besides carry a lot of water? I mean, is there is, uh, anything
1: else we can do? You know, that early in the year, I make my hunts really short. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's more of a loop than anything. So yeah. if we if we park on a, on a little knoll or down in a draw, Uh, You know, we'll say, well, I'll I'll kind of plan out Here's we're going to hunt. We're going to hunt toward that hill, make a loop, and and bring it right back to the truck. So we may be out, you know, 40 minutes, 45 minutes at that, and we're back to the truck. And, you know, it's just – it's the thing that that I don't want to have happen, which did to me years ago when I was out on the Cheyenne is – even though that was our, our intent was for that but all of a sudden we got into birds and the birds kept pulling us further from the truck yeah and, and I did have a dog have an issue with that so you know I, I make the hunt shorter and if we need to I just I'm not gonna put that dog's health in, in play again and and uh, so yes carrying a lot of water uh, but I make my hunts pretty short so yeah. I'm not gonna go on a big big uh big March that early in the year.
0: How about um, handling dogs in the field? You guys, you professionals have all sorts of um, magic things things that you do that we don't even see when we're out there with you uh is there something that we can take away from that can you tell us one thing we should do with dogs to maybe ensure steadiness for example or like you said you want a dog to work for you whether that means going left or right it's your decision not the dog's hat explain how you get that done
1: when i even when i'm on the prairie i was uh when i approach an, a an area that I'm going to hunt, I've got it kind of in my mind how I want to work this strategically. If yeah. it's a and with today with onyx and different maps and things, you can see where the edges are and you can adjust and see how you want to hunt it. But if if there's an example, if there's a draw that's got a lot of plum thickets and snowberry and and uh, winterberry and buffalo berry that I know those birds are using, I'll work those upper edges and let the dogs drift down into there in most cases than not, the biggest thing is I hear if there's a, if, from a compliment standpoint is my God, you never talk to your dogs Yeah. and I don't talk to them. I let them, I let them do their thing. But if I do need to nick a dog, I, I keep my transmitter in my pocket. No uh-huh. one sees me pull it out of my pocket and I just hit the, a little nick and that, and that turns them. So I'm not constantly hacking at my dog in order to bring them around where it becomes hurtful to my ears or to my hunter's ears that, that I'm continually screaming at a dog. Yeah. If, and so that if, if I can't, and and a lot of it, of course, again, is you know, your early season conditioning before the season starts and, and tightening the screws and, and putting everything kind of back at reset. So you're, you're good to go. And, and that really is the biggest thing.
0: Yeah you know I've started using the tone not the beep but the tone mm-hmm. on a collar uh, in the same way that's almost as good as any other command sure. if you want and yep. that's exactly what I use mine for is to turn him the yeah. other way do you it's, do you go ahead
1: no it's much the same it you're making contact with the dog and once the dog knows what it is when you make contact with them yeah the thing is, again, is, is being consistent. Don't just use the tone today and not use it the rest yeah. of the season. Yeah. Use it all the time, and you, you'll be just fine with that.
0: Yeah, and, and overlay it. You know, when you're first teaching it's just like every other command. You've got to overlay it with a verbal for a to, while. Or they whatever.
1: have to know exactly what you're yeah. wanting out of that, yeah. absolutely. So how do you teach that?
0: To begin with you know we're talking about the end product of that training we want a dog to go that way not that way so is it about your face and your direction you're
1: walking do you give a command and teach it is there an arm signal tell me more well you know the interesting thing is even when I did all that work for Purina and I got to I was at a lot of a lot of great field trials and riding and, and walking with some of the top handlers in the country The dog is is constantly, at some point, if they're hunting with you, and that's the number one thing, is they can be at 200 yards and glance back at you and know where you're at. That means they're still hunting with you. Yeah. And so if if I'm on the prairie and I want to change my direction instead of hacking at a dog, I'll start drifting like I'm on a horse, and I'll start walking to the left. I'll say to the hunters, all right, guys, we're going to start to drift right, and we're going to head to that plum thicket over there pretty quick. The dog, you can see him out front, they'll – start drifting and and come right with you they they naturally want to be to the front
0: yeah yeah
1: i i agree I, i will change my my stride or the direction that i'm going and the dog will eventually end up working to the front and then we'll we'll we're back on course so if i want to go back another direction i'll start drifting again another way and i'll tell my hunters and so all of a sudden the dog will start drifting back the other direction they're still hunting for me where it makes it really difficult, especially in the grouse woods. And I've had some very good grouse hunters that hunt by themselves that follow their dog through the woods mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're very successful. However, they know what the dog is doing and they can tell by the bell where the dog is at. And they just, is one person to follow the dog. But when we have hunters or guides on, if we're 20, 30 yards apart, they can't adjust to that kind of movement the way you can as an individual hunter following your dog. Yeah. So, so that kind of a, of a hunter and their dog that he follows the dog through the woods like that is very difficult for me to have as a guide and a guide dog, just because my guides can't, they can't interpret or understand where the dog is at the same capacity that you are as a dog handler. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in all this stuff, I always want to make my dogs handle for me. They're hunting for me and stay in front of me. And that's all accomplished by the early training with check cords. And, and there's times when I'm in the grouse woods and it, it helps even on the prairie where I'll just hide behind a tree and let a young puppy sit. They'll, all of a sudden, if they look back and can't find me, then they'll hunt me back and and find me. Then we continue on. So I don't want them yo-yoing back in and out, but I want them to always be in touch where I'm at, where I don't have, if anything, it's an old term field trawlers will use is called singing to the dog, where if they sing to the dog, it's to let them know where the, the, to let the dog know where I'm at. You hunt accordingly. It doesn't, it's not a command for you to come in to me, but it's just, here's where I'm at. You hunt accordingly.
0: Absolutely, and there are. Please don't do not really sing, people, but <laughs> no, make not, a noise. It's not singing.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, and and, and it's, you bring up a good point. In, in all actuality, a lot of people will use something like a vowel. Yeah. Hey. yeah. Yep. Yep. I won't use O because O and O sound so mm-hmm. much. I don't want to confuse the dog. But you know, there are just a number of things that you can do just to let the dog know where you're at, and and uh, it's again, it's not commands or not hacking on the dog to bring the dog in. That's not it at all. It's just letting the dog know where I'm at, and and especially in the grouse woods, if if I'm, you know, if the cover's heavy, a lot of foliage, even if I'm singing to the dog and my hunters are 20 yards apart from me, they still know where I'm at. So it's a it's a it's a form of communication both for the dog and the hunters.
0: Yeah, and and, um, uh, thank God for that, because otherwise you'd have to put a collar on each of the hunters, too. Oh,
1: that becomes frustrating.
0: Oh, there goes the tip, too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Leave us with one bit of practical magic. In your vest or in your truck is a piece of gear that we never thought
1: we should have.
0: What is it for you, Steve?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Uh, uh, you know, I guess if anything, it's a, it would be a, a wide blaze orange collar that's an elastic collar that can slide over the dog's neck. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if I happen to have two dogs in the ground or someone else has a dog in the ground, if the cover heavy or if it's, it's that, that would be one thing that I, that I'll wear on a dog on occasion. Uh, dog boots I used to but I, I don't so much anymore because I'm not hunting in that kind of cover uh, I guess if, if anything I with my setters I use you know I, I keep these uh, it's a uh, like a hair splitter and to pull the, the oh, big yeah. mats out and different things that way
0: yeah, uh, yeah
1: I always keep Benadryl on my truck you know when I'm out in the fall and, and a couple years ago you know when I when I went uh, further southwest of a pier, uh, it was a little bit more snaky ground. So I bought all my, all my hunters, uh, I, and I keep about eight pairs of snake gators in my truck, but I keep Benadryl in my truck as well for dogs, et cetera. And you just, you know, like anything else would be a well-stocked first aid kit because they're all animals and, and things can happen that you can't even begin to imagine that could happen. And, and, uh, so I, you know, I guess if anything, it's, it's to be well prepared. And, and, uh, if I don't use something in my truck, there are many things I have have in my truck that I've never used over all these years. And so then there, but it's always in my first aid kit. If it's there, it's there. But, you know, other than, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I fly by, fly by the seat of my britches. I've got good collars and, and, uh, the dogs, you know, we're in good shape and, and, uh, so there's really no, not one smoking gun that I would say would be the the ticket that uh, is my go-to. That that uh, you know, I I can't I can't. I wish I could. I'm trying. I'm thinking. And my, I mean, my ears are smoking. They're coming up my ears, but I can't think of anything.
0: Well, you thought of a whole bunch of things, and I'm I'm glad for the reminders, and so is everybody else. That's Steve, Grouseman Grossman. Learn more about his operation, both uh, rough grouse and woodcock up there in Minnesota, and prairie grouse. It's all at the grouselodge.com this guy knows his stuff we'll be talking again down the road so glad the knee replacement has gone well for you steve uh hopefully it will continue and you'll be back and uh chasing those prairie birds september 1 2023 happy new year to you thanks for being part of the upland nation podcast
1: the best to you and all your listeners scott merry christmas and happy new year to you
0: And we've still got a lot more to cover, not a lot, just a few things, including (laughs) reiterating some of the things that Steve just mentioned in our Handle It segment. Uh, He beat me to the punch on a couple, but I don't mind. I'm just glad to think great minds think alike. It's all brought to you by PointerShotguns.com. You want to start a new hunter with the new year? They've always got guns in stock at their dealers, whether it's the independent dealers who carry their pointer shotgun line or some of the big box retailers. Go shopping at the pointershotguns.com website and then find a dealer there as well. Remember, they're a work of art at a price that's a thing of beauty. My new side-by-side is coming very soon. I cannot wait to try it. Yeah, they've got a little bit of something for everybody. No matter where you are in your shotgun career, you'll find something to meet your needs at pointershotguns.com. Handle it. <laughs> yeah, I may be a slow learner, but... But most of the time, I'm still smarter than my dogs. And uh, I can use that to my advantage when I'm training. And Steve talked about one of the tricks I'm going to experiment with a little bit more that I haven't used for a while. But all of these little tricks, and I that, I use that term uh, you know on purpose those tricks can add variety and mental challenge for your dog and i'll tell you more and more the more i work with flick in particular i realize that he is really up for some mental challenges as well as all that exercise we need to get a german Wirehaired pointer you know As Steve said, hiding from a young dog when you're in the field, encourages him to stay aware of where you are. So uh, enough said about that. When you're working with birds and you want a dog to stay steady, plant two birds in the same spot, flush one, and then flush the other one so that the dog understands that there's more than one bird in many cases. And I better stick around for that other bird or that other remainder of the covey at the same time, same time, uh, you spaniel guys, you use, uh, helpers on each side of the, you know, the, the maximum, uh, distance for a good spaniel cast in front of you. And those guys are dropping live birds out there once in a while. So that the dog says, well, I got to go that way. If I want to find a bird and then I got to go that way. All little tricks that you might do. To keep your dog on his toes, so to speak, they all might work. And if you're looking for more advice about that sort of thing from me and from all the pros that I've worked with, check out findbirdhuntingspots.com and just click on the Your Bird Dog tab. Well, thank you all. For participating this week. Thanks to Steve Grouseman Grossman. You can get more information at TheGrouselodge.com. Appreciate all of you who contribute at the social platforms. Always learning something there. If you left a rating or a review, thank you very much. Appreciate your kind words. Thank you to all our sponsors. You know, they're the ones who make this all possible. Sage and Breaker pointer shotguns mid-valley clays shooting school and true lock chokes and particularly thank you for listening i hope you have a fantastic 2023 enjoy the entire year and particularly the next bird season i'm scott scott linden thanks for listening to the upland nation podcast